0: From Isaiah to get us started with worship this morning. Um, I read it this week and it just really stood out to me. It says, Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence. As fire causes wood to burn and water to boil, your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked, for since the world began, no ear has heard, and no eye has seen a God like you, who works for those who wait for him. So we're going to wait on him this morning, Um, if you'd stand with us in worship. Well, good morning and welcome to Regen. We're so glad to have you with us this morning. If it's your first time with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're here and we'd invite you to fill out um, a hay card in the back and to take a mug. And We'd also just encourage you if you've been coming for a while and you still haven't signed up for the emails, I know we keep threatening to do away with Boltons, but we actually are going to at the end of this month. So if you want to know what's going on, we'd invite you to sign up for the emails. You'll get those every week and you'll know um, just what our upcoming activities are. But for right now, um, we want to look ahead to this, um, at the end of this month, Thursday, June 27th at 6.30 p.m. is going to be our June night of prayer. So we'd invite you to come back here for that time. Um, And then in the program, you'll find the 2019 Summer Circles. Those are starting this week. So there's a Women's Bible Study, there's a Joy Starts Here group, and there's a Men's Bible Study and Zach Byler will be at the back table back there after the service. So if you have any questions about, Zach, can you raise your hand? And actually, I'm going to have him pray for the offering here in a minute, too. But um, Zach will be there if you have any questions about how to find the place that the Bible study is happening or just any other questions that you would have. He can help you out with that. Um, I'd also invite you, if you have a social media account, to check in and use the hashtag gives And for this quarter, all of those check-ins will um, go toward a don- donation for Bella Women's Center. So I'm going to have Zach come up and pray for our offering, and we'll continue on with worship.
1: I'm going to pass these around, but before that, if you guys just want to pray with me. Father, I'm just struck by those words that you, um, invite us out of the darkness and into the light. We're happy to be in your light this morning. Uh, entire church family, God, um, we appreciate that. And I'm grateful to be a part of it. And God, I just pray, um, over the people of this church that uh, while you do invite us out of that darkness, that darkness is still there. So, um, just give us comfort in your light and uh, protect us and guard us from entering back into that light and in a la- or back into that darkness and um, just let us find complete uh, just feeling welcome in your sufficiency in your light, Lord. Um, and I pray that uh, as we spend more and more time in your light, in your truth, in your grace, in your love, that we will uh, give more and more of ourselves to you lord so that we have nothing to go, nothing to go back to the darkness with in jesus name I pray. Amen. josh is going to pass these things out
2: let's see what happens here dan kids go with kayla If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 8. 1 Samuel 8. Let's see here. No, not yet. 1 Samuel 8. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, young Dan. boy. good job. Perfect. Cool beans. 1 Samuel Eight we 're in this series called "The King of Hearts, and it uh, traces the lord 's Hand and Purposes in Israel in the books of First and Second Samuel as we 've noted each week, there are a few key themes that play over and over again in the book. Uh, one of those themes has to do with intervention and reversal that at any given moment God can intervene in a person 's circumstances. And reverse them, either for good or for evil. Uh, and this is often in response to either humility or pride. When God sees someone exalting themselves in arrogance, God will reverse their circumstances for evil, for bad. Uh, when a person humbles themselves, God will reverse their circumstances for good, very often in the book of First and Second Samuel. Uh, today we're looking, though, most closely at this third theme of Messiah's kingdom, this idea that God is preparing uh, his anointed one. God is preparing uh, his chosen king that will rule and reign in righteousness. And we've seen this theme hinted at a few times. By the way, if you're just tuning in, uh, please do yourself a favor and go on the podcast and catch up uh, because there's these all of these are literally hanging together. So if you're catching just one episode, it's like I showed you one episode of TV and what does that even mean? Um, but we can get that on most podcast apps. But as we take the turn into First Samuel 8, we're kind of seeing a shift in what happens in the narrative. Whereas 1 Samuel 1 through 7 was really about the establishment of Samuel for spiritual leadership in Israel, uh, chapters 8 through 31 turn their attention to kingship, especially here in chapter 8 when Israel asks for a king. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 8 together. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it, Google it, do whatever you need to do. Um, We're just doing one chapter today, but I will make up for it next week because I'm going to preach chapters 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Um, I'm feeling just super-duper scattered, so I want to pray again. Okay? Jesus, we just want to turn our attention to you. Jesus, we want to turn our affection to you, and we want to hear from you. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. And so we turn our attention to your word this morning, knowing that it's not written to us, but it was written for us, that you have something to say. So come, Holy Spirit, and clear our minds and illuminate your word so that we can know and see and understand. Amen. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, When Samuel had become old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel and the name of his second Abijah and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. If this sounds familiar, it should. Samuel's children did not walk in his ways. His predecessor Eli had the same problem. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, also did not walk in his ways. Now, the text isn't concerned with how did we get here or why did we get here. It simply reports this happening as basis for Israel's larger ask in verses 4 through 5, where it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody. I think it often happens in parenting. You're talking to them. And as you're talking to them, you guys keep making faces at me and it's making me nervous. Uh, In the bottom right corner is the little box that you can click. Keep going. Keep going. Down, 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 down. Click it. Ha ha. There you go. Young Dan on the tech booth this morning, everybody. Good job, buddy. Seriously, young Dan found out he was doing this like 15 minutes ago, so that's good. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody, uh, and as you're talking to them, what they're saying is so wrong and so crazy that you don't even really know where to begin. That is exactly how Samuel feels here in 1 Samuel 8. When he hears this request, appoint for us a king like the other nations. In fact, in verse 6, it goes on to say, the thing displeased Samuel. I like that it doesn't say what they said displeased Samuel. It's like the thing displeased Samuel. Like the thing, it's like hot mess. Samuel doesn't know where to begin. First Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 through 8 answers the question, like what is wrong with the request? It says this in verse 6. The thing displeased Samuel. When they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. This is interesting. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they have done to you. Here is the problem They have rejected me. They have rejected God as their own king. The universal witness of the Old Testament, of the scriptures, the universal witness of the the text to this point is that God would be Israel's king. The Lord himself would be Israel's king. I mean, the the Psalms are just full of language about this. Uh, Psalm 1016 says, for the Lord is king forever and ever. Uh, Psalm 22, 28 says the kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations." Psalm 29:10, the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. And then Psalm 27, one of my favorites, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory, you ask? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. What, what the Lord makes clear to Samuel is that in this moment, Israel has rejected God. Israel has rejected Yahweh as their king, which is, from the Lord's perspective, nothing new. The NLT of verses 7 and 8 say, they don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. What's interesting, what's interesting is that the problem isn't that they want a king Because the book of Deuteronomy anticipated that Israel would one day have a king. If you are looking at your Bible, you can flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 17 if you'd like. Deuteronomy is Moses' last sermon to his people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, it says, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, you will say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Interesting, verse 15 says, you may indeed set... Choose a king. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. The book of Deuteronomy anticipates that they would have a king. What kind of king does the book of Deuteronomy want us to have? Well, in Deuteronomy 17, verse 18, it says, When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statues, and by doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children. See, see what was the vision here was that when Israel chose a king, they wouldn't choose, the Lord would choose, and when the Lord chose that king, would handwrite his own personal copy of the book of Deuteronomy, and every day this king would have his devotions, his quiet time, in the book of Deuteronomy, so to be a faithful and fruitful king. That is the vision that God has for kingship. The problem for Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the problem for for the Lord, the problem for Samuel, isn't that they asked for a king, because the Lord has always anticipated there would be a king. The problem is how they ask and that they are asking now. You see, their request in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it is sinful in its motives. Their desire is to be, quote, like the other nations. This is a massive problem. This is Israel backing out of their covenant with the Lord. This is Israel forsaking their vocation and forsaking their calling to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The word holy means separate it means distinct it means unique israel's holiness was to set them apart and now they are trying to go back on that set apartness and have a king just like the other nations it's 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 sinful in its motives it's selfish in its timing god was going to give them a king eventually i mean the whole bible points forward to a time when jesus an israelite would be king but they're rushing the process It's sinful in its motives, it's selfish in its timing, it's cowardly in its spirit. They see the Ammonites on one side, they see the Philistines on the other, and they forget that it's the Lord who protects them. They forget that it's the Lord who protects them, so they can't help but ask for a king. And what's interesting is that the Lord acquiesces to their request. The Lord gives in. In verse 9, the Lord says, now then obey their voice to Samuel. He says, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So what are the ways of the king that's going to reign over them? Well, that's in verses 10 through 18. It says, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were ta- asking for a king from him. <clears throat> he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons And the best of your young man and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and he will make you his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. Notice the distinction. Whom you have chosen for yourselves versus the king I wanted to choose for you. You will cry out that day and on that day the Lord will not answer. I will not answer you. Samuel warns that their people warns the people of Israel that their king will be a significant burden to them in in two ways First by taking The word take is used six times in verses 10 through 18 because ancient near eastern kingship the kind of king that they want to have the The kings like all of the other nations have it's parasitic. It is not benevolent. It is parasitic It is not giving He will take your young men. He will take your young women. He will take your servants. He will take your cattle. He will take your land. He will take your harvest. If you're going to have a king like the other nations, the Lord says, you're going to have a despotic, selfish, taking king. You are. Which leads to the second problem. Samuel warns them that their king will draw them back into slavery. And understand that Israelites had been enslaved for 400 years and this memory is, is, is not just academic, it's not just spiritual, it's not like you and I think my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa was on the Mayflower. No, this is within living memory of their grandparents, that their grandparents were, were, were enslaved. And Samuel is saying, if you take a king for yourself today, you might as well go back to Egypt, and that's what the people are saying they want. Take us back to slavery, because we want to be like the other nations And the people of Israel hear this warning, they hear he's going to take, they hear he's going to enslave you, and look at what happens in verses 19 through 22. The people refuse to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, there shall be a king over us that we may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us, and go out before us and fight our battles. This is is just interesting in verse 21. When Samuel had heard all of the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. In chapter 9, we'll meet Israel's first king, a man named Saul. He's a hot mess. But giving the people a king, despite his opinions otherwise, reveals something interesting in the Lord's character. First... It shows us that as we walk in genuine covenant relationship with God, he will sometimes give us what our hearts truly desire, even if that is something bad and dangerous. Let me say that again. When we walk in relationship with God, and we keep on insisting having something for ourselves that is bad and dangerous, there are times when the Lord will give us what we ask for, even if it's something bad and dangerous. And in the book of Romans, Paul calls this being handed over to our desires being handed over to our desires. When we are insistent in our sin, God will sometimes give us over to what our actions and hearts really desire. What that looks like is when you think you are in control, you are really the most out of control you have ever been. Second, by the way, this shows us that God is, thank you, Jesus, able to work out his own purposes despite our disobedience, despite our opposition, and the good news for us personally is that our mistakes do not stop God accomplishing his purposes in our lives. The book of Job says, I know that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's true. And the good news is that God does not, is not hindered in his accomplishments in his big picture plan for the world by us. I mean, Israel asks for a king. They ask for it in a time and in a way that isn't right. God opposes their pride. You'll notice this. God's going to oppose their pride. By giving them a king that they deserve. Saul, who literally is looking for his father's asses and finds a kingdom, he's looking for his dad's donkeys, can't find them to save his life. And the Lord says, Here, this is going to be your king. When they go to anoint Saul as king over Israel, he hides with the baggage. It's the king they deserve. And yet, God is still moving his purposes forward. God is still bringing about his own plan and pointing us to the King of Hearts, who is Jesus. We don't often think of Jesus as King. We sing about that a little bit at Christmas time. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. The King of Kings, salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. Oh, come, let us adore him christ the lord but if we're not careful we can assume that jesus's kingship is a kind of metaphor jesus is like a king in the same way that jesus is like a shepherd or like a door and add to this that as americans in our social studies classes when we were growing up what did we learn kings are bad so we threw tea into a harbor we wrote a declaration because kings are bad But when you are calling Jesus Lord, what you really are doing is acknowledging Jesus as king. Not that Jesus is like a king, that he is a king. Your loyalty is demanded by and deserving of Jesus. When you get to heaven, there will not be an American flag there. When you get to heaven, there will not be an American flag there. He is calling to himself every people, every tribe, every nation, and every tongue of which he is all king. The book of Isaiah says the nations are, in a drop, are, as a, are a drop in the bucket. Your current nationality, your current political affiliation is nothing in the grand scheme of things. Nothing. Nothing. Because Jesus is your king. The most important shift that could happen in your mind today, our minds today, in this moment, is if you suddenly saw yourself citizens of a kingdom not of this world, instead of American Christians. Do you notice how often we call ourselves American Christians, not Christian Americans? Jesus, when he's asked by Pilate, are you a king? Jesus says, I am a king. I am just not a king of this world nor is my kingdom of this world. Jesus is a king. He is not like a king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Abraham Kuyper says that there is not a square inch in the whole of creation over of, our, of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not declare mine. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says that all four of the Gospels are mostly about God becoming king in Jesus. We are not from here. We are not from here. And when we have been there 10,000 years, someone will say, remember when we were Americans and we will laugh. It will be that unimportant to us. It will be that unimportant to us. good question is what makes a good king in Israel? Walter Dumbrell, an Old Testament scholar, identifies four elements that make a king for Israel. Choice, anointing, gift of the spirit, and mighty acts. He makes an interesting note to say that Saul and David will see these in them, but we don't ever see them again until Jesus. All of the dozens of kings that follow after Saul and David. Never again do we see the spirit empowering them. Never do we see their mighty acts. Never do we see their choice or their anointing until we get to jesus and so this morning i just want to kind of unpack a little bit about what does it mean for jesus to be king why is that important in the bible how do we see that happening in the new testament Uh, there's four kind of elements here that i think are important one is this idea of choice there's this story in the gospel of luke where jesus goes to be baptized it says now when all the people were baptized and when jesus also had been baptized by the way that's why we get baptized it's because jesus was baptized when Jesus had been baptized, he was praying, and the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. And by the way, my friends, because of Jesus, that is exactly what your Father has to say over you. Jesus is anointed. He says... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Every every person in the Old Testament is given the gift of the Spirit for a purpose of leadership. And here we see Jesus after his baptism. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. The Gospel of Mark says, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Do you notice that Jesus goes into the desert full of the Holy Spirit and leaves the desert full of the power of the Holy Spirit? See, we hate deserts. We hate wilderness seasons. That's where we find the power. Where's my lip? There we go. Is anybody else being overwhelmingly pummeled by their allergies this weekend? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but pollens and grasses and trees. Um, yeah. I'm a thing. <clears throat> Finally, mighty acts. It is, is Jesus' life and miracles. It is his death. It is his resurrection. It is his ascension that are the mighty acts that prove him to be king. John says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. N.T. Wright says, when the soldiers dress, dress Jesus up in a purple robe, they do so in order to mock him. But John tells us of it in order to declare that Jesus is indeed the one in purple, the one before whom the nations will bow. Pilate circles around the possibility that Jesus is, in some sense, king of the Jews. But without realizing that, according to the Jews' own ancient traditions, their king is to be king of the whole world. John knows that he is telling a story of someone dying the death of a criminal. He is determined that his readers will hear the story, also the death of the rightful king. Jesus' kingdom will not come by violence. It will come through his own death. When he is lifted up from the earth, he will draw all people to himself. The kingship of Jesus, chosen, anointed, given the spirit, the mighty acts. All of it's foretold by the prophet Isaiah, who says in a passage that we're used to seeing around Christmas time, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Interesting. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. With justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of host will do this. Again, we see this word government and we spiritualize it. Right? Oh, isn't it nice to think that Jesus like has a government and like he's taking care of us, and he's ruling and reigning over us. It's not likes, it's not metaphorical, it's not spiritualized. Right now, Jesus, the son of God and the son of man, has sit down on a throne at the right hand of his father, sitting down meaning having accomplished the work. The throne is of his father, David. David, who was promised a descendant, will sit on your throne forever, David. This is Jesus who has a government of righteousness and peace which he is right now establishing through the church through us as embassies and forward invasion forces of his kingdom. And we are trifling and we are half-hearted and we try to pencil Jesus in in between our other priorities. Either Jesus is our lord or he is not. But we can't do what Israel does. I want God's protection, but not his kingship. I want God's safety, but not his kingship. I want God's provision, but not his kingship. I want the spiritual thrills, but but I, I I don't want the cost of discipleship. God is prepared through his choice and his anointing and his gift of the spirit and Jesus almighty acts the counselor and the prince the heir to David's throne who establishes rule of justice and righteousness forever it is the heir to David's throne this king who will reign forever which is why the book of Revelation the very end of the book says then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true that's your Jesus And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. By the way, Jesus has a tattoo. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This rider on the white horse is the lamb who was slain. Revelation goes on to say, and I saw no temple in that city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of the Lord gives it light and its lamp is the lamb by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there they will bring it into the glo- they will bring into the glory into it the glory and the honor of the nations But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, president of presidents. The very glory of the Lord revealed, faithful and true, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, great I am. Listen, the Bible is one, the Bible is one long story that points to Jesus. That's what this is trying to do and it's it's comforting i understand that and and it's and it's nice to read and it's nice to kind of open up and i'm nervous and anxious i'm going to go find a verse that speaks that that's good but what we are called to do is to embody and embed ourselves into this story this story that points to jesus this this king and, and this story of ours begs the question this morning who is the king of your heart who is the king of your heart Everyone you have ever met has a king. Everyone you've ever met has a king. The only question is if that king is Jesus, or a king like the other nations have. A king whose kingdom is of this world. They're often good things, these other kings, distorted, turned in on themselves, money, sex, power, patriotism, family, comfort, safety, tradition, the past, People allow themselves to be ruled by all sorts of things, and that's what it is, ruled, ruled, governed, enslaved. And as the people of Jesus, as the king's people, as citizens of heaven, it is our beautiful and and wonderful task to go out into the world, to go to people far from Jesus, and tell them of the beauty and rest that we have found by making Jesus king of our hearts evangelism is not I'm right you're wrong and I can't wait to tell you about it evangelism sharing our faith is as simple as saying you have a bad king you have a bad king can I tell you about mine of course it's very, very hard to tell other people about the king of your heart when in reality you profess Jesus to be king with your mouth, but secretly in your heart you have given yourself over to another king. Where Jesus is on that throne Sundays, and if you're super spiritual a little bit before the Sunday gathering starts or after because the committed come and help, or if you're super spiritual going to a circle but, or, or, or when I need something, but the rest of the week, the rest of the time... Let's put safety there. Let's put comfort there. Let's put family there. Let's put my time on there. Let's put my country. Let's put my political party. Let's put my job. Let's put my money. Let's put sex. We, like Israel, we want God to be our king, but we would also like a king like the other nations have. And if we're not careful we allow another king to take up residence in our heart and to sit on the throne. And this is a dangerous position to be in, you see, because remember how Samuel describes other kings? He says that they take. He says that they enslave. And that's the message we have for our friends and family far from Jesus. The king that you have given yourself to only knows how to take from you and only knows how to enslave you. Let me tell you about my king. But let me tell you what, if we have given ourselves over to another king, it'll work for a while. It might work for a long time. It might feel good. It might make us feel at peace. It might take care of us. It might do all those things. But one day you will wake up and find yourself only giving to this thing that will not stop taking. You will wake up and you will find yourself, in fact, enslaved. Enslaved. The kings of this world, that's all they can do. They can only enslave And they can only take. They don't know how to do anything else. They can't. But can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about this King Jesus who does not take but who gives? He says, I I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, I don't give as the world gives. Not as the world gives do I give to you. I give to you my peace. Paul says in Romans, if the Father has given us all of these things and not held back from us his own Son, that's our King. That's our King. Our King is the King who gives. And our King does not enslave. We are no longer slaves. We are daughters and sons. We are no longer slaves. We are friends. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know everything their master knows. I call you my friends. I call you my friends because everything the Father has told me, I have told you. The only question for you this morning is this. The only question for you this morning is this. Who is the king of your heart? And is it a king who takes and enslaves, or is it a king who gives and befriends? The only question for you this morning is are your loyalties divided? I guarantee you the question isn't yes or no, it's only how and to what degree. This morning, my question for you is this, who is the king of your heart? God, we uh, recognize your kingship this morning. It's not something we're used to thinking about. We recognize our allegiance to you. And so Holy Spirit, come as we even respond to you in these moments now. Amen.
0: Amen. So the last few weeks we've been practicing something new um, of just having a time of responding to the message and and giving you just a moment to kind of reflect on maybe what um, is getting your attention what through the word God is highlighting for you. And so for the next couple minutes, I just want to invite you, um, you Kyle made it very clear as we think about who is the king of our heart and what what actually rules us and what is that giving or taking from us. And so I would just um, invite you in these couple minutes to just really reflect, ask God to highlight for you what has taken the place of him in your heart. In your mind and in your life um and what it is that he wants to give you and so it's not just a loss it's not just a losing um of this thing that maybe we are looking to to give us our identity but it's also something that the father wants to give you and so i would just invite you um over the next couple minutes the band's going to play and you can just um have a moment to reflect and then we'll uh, sing a song and worship in response and take communion
2: Jesus is not a king who takes. Instead he gives. He gives of his body. He gives of his blood. Traditional liturgy for the communion table talks about all of these things that the Lord had done for us and our love failing. Our love failing. Sometimes our desires and affections get the best of us. Sometimes, without recognizing it or seeing it coming, we find that someone else or something else has taking up residence on the throne that belongs to Jesus alone. And the beauty of this table is that it is Jesus inviting us back to himself. Not with groveling or with scraping, but with a meal. A meal of his own self to bring us back to himself. Can I have four people help me serve communion this morning? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would pour, brought yourself on these gifts of bread and cup and on all those gathered here. That in the eating and drinking of this bread and this cup, we might be your body. We might be drawn back to you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The table is open. Are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain? And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like that of his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. May you stand firm. Love you. We'll see you next time.